Hey friend, I'm curious, have you just recently gotten the phone call or the diagnosis or experienced the loss that has completely changed everything in your world? Are you currently sitting in the rubble of your life seemingly falling apart and wondering, where in the world do I go from here? I've been there. The days following my wife Amanda's death left me reeling. Everything felt blurry and I didn't know what to even do as time continued on, but my life at that point was at a screeching halt. We here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries want to equip you with the tools you need to navigate the unexpected and difficult days that follow any sort of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. And this is why we're creating a new mini course called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. We're hosting this mini course live over four weeks for our Community Plus members only during the month of May, starting on Tuesday, May 2nd from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, each week, we're going to talk about the things you need to know when you are facing fresh pain or grief, like what you can expect in those early days, what you need most, how to lament, and where to go from here. After the four weeks, we will eventually have this course available for purchase or as a part of our Community Plus membership platform. Being a part of the Community Plus platform will give you the earliest access to this incredible course, and you'll hear from me, my fellow Nothing Is Wasted podcast host, Aubrey Sampson, and our Nothing Is Wasted community director, Amy Sylvester. Another benefit of being a part of the course live is that you'll be able to ask your questions in real time and hear from us. All you have to do to be a part of this course in May is join Community Plus at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash community plus. And don't forget, we offer a free seven-day trial to the Community Plus membership, which will give you access to this course plus all the other offerings we have from curated pathways to masterclass replays and so much more. If you're already part of the Community Plus membership, just check your email for how to join live for this four-week live mini course called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. I know it can be so difficult to know how to even exist when life takes a turn. How in the world am I going to wake up tomorrow morning and continue to live in the midst of this? Let us help you figure out how to take the next step in the early days of whatever you are going through. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I am your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Hey, and this is Eric Shoemaker, uh, your guest host and uh, the guest of today's podcast. This is so fun. You're like the host and the the host and the guest. It's like on Saturday Night Live, you're the musical guest and the star. Yes. Yeah. Except we're going to be a lot more serious than they're going to be on Saturday <laughs> I was Saturday say, Night do you Live. need a monologue and a, <laughs> and a skit? No, I feel like you poured your heart out. You were about to pour your heart out to the people. So we definitely don't need a monologue and a yeah. skit, Eric. And I, I yeah. just have to say, I am so grateful for 
Um, so grateful for the fact that you're talking about this. Eric, if you haven't been listening, Eric's joined us as a guest co-host for the past few weeks. Eric Shoemaker is a pastor, author, podcaster with Elise Fitzpatrick, someone you might be familiar with. They have a podcast called Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women. He has several book projects, but he's talking about his most recent book with Davey on today's episode. Do you want to fill our listeners in on what you guys are going to talk about? Because I know it's a heavy, hard topic. It is a heavy topic. So this this book is uh, called Ours, Biblical Comfort for Men Grieving Miscarriage. And so my wife and I have uh, walked through four miscarriages. And when I was going through those, you know, there was no no resource that I could that I could find that was a Christian resource aimed at men. Uh, mm. So, you know, miscar- miscarriage books might have a, um, a chapter addressing the men, but usually it's how the men should care for their wives, which so is true. which is good, but uh, rarely how how to care for the the heart of the man as a father who's mm. who's lost a child, uh, which is which is so important because when. Yeah. When his heart's cared for, he's going to care for the heart of his wife mm. uh, I, I, better. I'm so glad that you're you're creating resources in that space because I think you're right. I mean, I I don't know that I've seen any books out there mm. for men grieving miscarriage. Yeah, and and I think just in general, I think the church is just coming into a place where it's beginning to care for miscarriage well. That's so true. And and so it, it, and so I get it. You know, yeah. um, we just naturally think of miscarriage as solely a woman's mm-hmm. suffering, and mm-hmm. obviously she has a, uh, a unique way that she she Certainly. suffers there. Um, and so it's natural that that's where the conversation begins. But um, I, 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 you know, as a pastor, almost, you know, when I go care for a couple who's experienced a miscarriage and I'm visiting them, yeah. uh, one of the biggest concerns almost always that the mother will have is I don't know how my husband's doing. Mm. Like he's, he's not talking about this. I'm, mm. I'm concerned for him. And yeah. I find that women want uh, the father to be, to be cared yeah. for. Well. Yeah. Oh, cannot wait. So let's go ahead and actually take a listen to Eric's conversation with Davey. And then Eric's going to stick around after and he and I will unpack their conversation a little bit more. Let's take a listen. Well, Eric, it is so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Man, I'm excited to have this conversation. You know, I was reading a bit of your story and just hearing some of the loss that you've experienced. And, you know, one, it's it's just, it's horrific and awful to experience any kind of loss, but especially the nature that you guys have. And I think the nuance of this, um, the sense of your perspective on this, and I'm, I'm being general for a reason right now because I mm. want you to kind of reveal that to our listeners, but your perspective, the seat that you sit in um, and, and how, how you see the loss that you've experienced is not often talked about. I know we haven't talked about it a whole lot from this perspective. Mm. So I'm excited to, to um, open that up for our community so that they can hear from you. Mm. Um, and I'm just excited to get to know you a little bit more, man. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. And what you do, and um, give us some context for Eric Shoemaker, and then, and then we'll dive back into your story and, and see where God's been showing up in that. Okay, yeah. Uh, like you said, my name's Eric Shoemaker, and I live in Ames, Iowa, uh, center of the Midwest, with my wife Jenny. We've been married for 
It'll be 25 years this coming summer. So uh, Congratulations, man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Trying to figure out something fun to do. <laughs> it feels like point. a lot of pressure, doesn't it? it 25. Does. What, what kind of a trip do we <laughs> take know. or what do we do to encase this 25 years of marriage? Something with a lot of naps, I think. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> fitting. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, we live uh, here in Ames with uh, our, our five children uh, who range in age from 20. Our oldest is a, is a sophomore at Iowa State University here in town and got a senior in high school and uh sophomore in high school and an eighth grade daughter. So our oldest three are boys and then a daughter who just turned 14. And then our youngest son is 10. And so uh, it's, yeah, I think the the best thing I can give my wife is space to nap. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's so funny. Yeah. So So I've been, (laughs) I've been pastoring uh, 20 years this month, Uh, graduated from uh, seminary and Started my first church and have been uh, I've been here in Ames for it'll be seven years at the end of the year now wow. and um, just really enjoying it here. I, I spent my first twelve years, thirteen years as a senior pastor and uh, and did a lot of preaching and um, and then went through a pretty serious seri- season of burnout and uh, depression and anxiety and. Decided to step away for a year from from ministry just to um, kind of look and see what the Lord had for me, and ended up uh, as an associate pastor, and uh, where I now oh I do everything from some you know adult ministry oversight to I'm um, the worship leader, which I never thought I would ever be <laughs> in my life, but that's another story, uh, and I do a lot of counseling, pastoral counseling, and. So it's, uh, which I never thought I'd do either. I, I never wanted to be uh, involved in counseling. I wanted to be the the preacher. And uh, now I don't really care if I preach, but I love, mm. I love counseling people. I love the counseling office. And so it's, wow. it's uh, places that I've never expected to be, but the Lord's led me where he wants me to be and given me a heart for it. And, and wow. I trust is equipping me. And wow. so- yeah, that's amazing, man. I'm I'm curious, you know, as you're as you're talking about this, what what do you attribute some of that burnout to? I know mm. I know the senior pastor role is a unique role. Um, having been a senior pastor before and now doing what I'm doing now, I'd love what I get to do now, and I don't know if I would ever look back. But yeah, I attribute it to certain things. I I wonder what what in your story you attribute that. Yeah. To. It I think it I think a lot of it had to do with I don't know that I was equipped to lead well. Um, and I don't know that that's my natural personality is to be a leader, at least in the sense that we typically think of church leaders need to be. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I think I'm doing a lot of rethinking about what that means even. Mm. Uh, but um, I wasn't equipped to deal with church conflict well. And so mm. we went through a fairly major church split that lasted several years. And, um, oh, you know, I was having panic attacks, pretty deep depression and anxiety for a long time. Uh, and, um, and then we went through, uh, you know, we'll talk about this, but we went through several losses that I, I think I just toughed it up and tried to get through. Uh, mm. but I, you know, that all, you know, as, as, uh, the book says, the body keeps the score yeah. and, uh, it, my body was definitely speaking to me and my mind was, and, and we actually got to a place where I think the church was very healthy and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I felt like I'd left it sort of all in the field and, wow. um, 
and felt like, yeah, I, you know, the Lord doesn't need me in any particular place. Um, and so I Man. talked to 20 some pastors, got a lot of counsel and good friends said, yeah, you need to step out and you need to look for a different type of role with a different type of pressures. And, and I have, um, I don't know, I just, just a lot of things I like to do. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm also a podcaster. I'm, working on my fifth and sixth books. I love to write and I didn't have space for that when I was mm-hmm. writing sermons every week. And yeah. it it's opened. I, and I think the biggest thing it did for me was really the Lord was equipping me to help suffering people. Yeah. Um, but I had to come face to face with my own suffering and deal with that before I could, I could be a help to others. Wow. 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 I mean, praise God that you came to a place in that critical juncture and said, Hey, I, I just need to step away from this. Mm-hmm. You know, I see the writing on the wall. I see where this is going for me yeah. personally, for our family. And and just what you said, God doesn't need me. <laughs> There's not like a an yeah. S on my chest, you know? And I just feel like that obviously, you know, we there's a lot of pastors that that do come to that place and do make that yeah. decision, which is praise God. And we but then we hear about the ones that they don't, unfortunately. They keep trying to yeah. push through that wall and whether through a moral failure or, yeah. you know, gosh, you know, at at worst, um, taking their own life, or, yeah, you know, suffering through a lot of that, just really deep, dark night of the soul. Um, yep. They don't know when to recognize. Okay, it's time to shift. It's time yeah. to change things. So praise God that you did, and I, I see you flourishing coming out of mm. what you've been doing he's, because of he's that. very gracious to to do that. And like, and like you said, you know, we if we don't if we don't deal with these things well, then yeah. they they lead to bad places and. I'm I'm 46 now. You know, I was ending up my 30s when I decided to step away, and and it's been amazing to me uh, entering the 40s decade. You know, looking back at the people I went to seminary with or other pastors I served. You know, I had a good friend take his own life, his pastor, um, and just right around the time, right after I stepped out of ministry, mm-hmm. and um, didn't didn't have any clue where he was at and yeah. what he was struggling with, and then. Seeing guys I went to seminary with that are just um, uh, walking away from the faith or making huge moral failures. And it's, uh, you just realize like, yeah, there's no S in my chest. I'm not, I'm not Superman. I'm not the Messiah. Um, And yeah, if, if the Lord, if the Lord wanted me here for a time, um, praise God. And he's just as capable now of bringing somebody else. So, right, right, yeah, man, what a great, what a healthy perspective, you know, um, it, to, you know, I, the way I kind of say it sometimes is like, hey, we're not the point of this, yeah, but God's gracious to invite us to play a part, yeah, <laughs> and it just Amen. kind of right sizes for me, yeah. like every time I step up on a stage or put a microphone in front, it's like, this is not about, we're not the point of this, mm. yeah, Jesus is the point of this, absolutely. And, and once we get, if that gets lopsided, then. That leads to a lot of disaster in our life. You mentioned, you know, these couple of losses, mm-hmm. uh, several losses that you experienced in conjunction with this. I'd love for you to to talk about those yeah. and, and just how that impacted you and your family. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this story here is one about miscarriage and particularly from the perspective of a father. Um, I, I had never really heard anything about miscarriage uh, as a thing that happened until I think I was in high school and I heard of uh, a relative that 
I didn't even know I was pregnant that had had a miscarriage and mm. nothing was really said of it after that at all. And, uh, you know, went off to college, got married, we went to seminary and around the time we were in seminary, you know, maybe not the first year, but a few years, you know, second, and third year, uh, we had a lot of friends, you know, st- trying to start having kids and, um, mm. and a few miscarriages here and there. But I think one of the best things that, um, happened in this area to me uh, was Russell Moore uh, was my uh, theology professor and he just shared uh, directly uh, and openly pretty transparently about his he and his wife's three miscarriages and they were in the process of adopting um, a son which ended up being adopting two sons but um you know, in class, he would share about how his heart responded to miscarriage. And I'd never heard anybody talk about miscarriage, especially a man, you know. Mm. And so, that just sort of stuck with me. And we we thought, well, you know, we have a lot of friends that have miscarriages and we'll, we'll probably just have one. And, mm. and when we started trying for kids, we got pregnant right away and our son was born uh, healthy, no complications in the pregnancy. Moved back to Iowa, started pastoring, and went on to have our first three sons, you know, uh, all spaced two years apart. And and then we had uh, a miscarriage, and we had a, a relative that was going, a close relative that was going through a um, ectopic pregnancy, uh, which was a, you know, really painful and uh, scary crisis that they walked through. And, and so, it was the same day, I think, that that was happening that Jenny said she'd taken a pregnancy test and she thought she might be pregnant. And it was so early, you know, she was pregnant and then she was bleeding like the same day. And we, we probably would have thought it was a late period if, you know, if, if we hadn't yeah. taken the test. So we sort of just ignored it and it, you know, moved on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we had our daughter and then uh, we still felt like a child was missing. You know, we had four and uh, felt like someone was missing and, we ended up uh, having a pregnancy, you know, getting pregnant. And then that one, you know, we we knew we were pregnant. We'd announced the pregnancy. You know, it was uh, a few months into the pregnancy when um, Jenny uh, miscarried. And so that was, uh, that was, that one was further along. And it was the, you know, the first miscarriage that was that far along. And we were you know, we saw the baby on the the ultrasound, and and you could see it had settled in the womb, and yeah. um, and she, you know, that was a new experience for both of us, and she ended up having to have a DNC uh, procedure mm. to remove uh, wow. the, you know, the baby and the products of pregnancy and sure. so forth, and so that was, you know, that was right there in the doctor's office, and uh, it was, I think it was pretty traumatic for both of us because she didn't. She didn't want that procedure to have to happen, but it was a few weeks later in the, or whatever time later and the baby hadn't been passing naturally. And so Mm. um, it's a pretty delicate procedure and there's, there's things that can go wrong with that. And, you know, I went with her to that procedure and the doctor invited me to uh, sit beside her up next to her. And, and, you know, I'd watched four children being born. I was never queasy with that. I was fine with that. And for some reason I just didn't feel, um, I think I might have sat down next to her and I just felt like I, I couldn't for some reason. And I went and sat in the back of the room and, and then I was feeling lightheaded, like I might pass out and, 
or be sick. And, and, you know, that gets worse the more you think about it. And I, and then I was thinking, I don't want to pass out and have her, the doctor jerk or move. And, you know, and so walked out to the, the waiting room and, uh, tried to find a place to take a seat by myself, you know, in the corner, because this is a OBGYN practice, you know, and there's pregnant women all over the place and other people. And last thing you want is someone asking you a question about what you're having or why you're there. And, um, I just felt overwhelming shame uh, when I sat down. Like, wow. you're not a you're not a real man. Like, is this what kind of a you know you're just a failure as a man wow. that you you know you not only couldn't protect your wife and your child, uh, but you can't even sit there. You left her alone. You abandoned her uh, during this procedure, oh, and wow. uh, I didn't realize I was carrying that much shame over miscarriage. Um, until several years later, I think, when I really started processing that. But even I, I even noticed, came to realize shame played a big part in my experience as a father wow. of miscarriage. Um, even when you return to the church and as a pastor, you feel this need to like, she's the one suffering. And she is. And she's suffering in different ways. You know, she's gone through the physical aspects of the pregnancy. And, uh, but you know, so all the conversations revolve around how she doing. If guys even mention it, guys usually don't even mention it. And, um, or they ask how your wife is doing. And I just felt the need to be spiritual and tough and, um, you know, keep the focus on her because I felt like it would be selfish for me to uh, acknowledge my own hurt and wow. trauma. And, uh, which is a lie because uh, we love our wives better when we're processing uh our own stuff better. Wow. And, uh, and when we're processing it with, with them. And so. Eric, talk, talk a little bit about yeah. that. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. As, as you're sitting here talking, I'm going, man, I'm literally having this dialogue in my mind. Like that's a really tough dance because mm-hmm. everything you're saying about why you were experiencing shame seems noble, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm yeah. going to make sure that yeah. we just focus on her pain and I'll just kind of, bottle mine up for a bit because it doesn't, it's not as quote unquote significant or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. And yet I'm going, is there, I literally was asking the question to myself, is there, is there a way for both husband and wife, Mm -hmm. mother and father in this situation to be able to have their pain and their needs addressed the space for them to unpack it. And somehow out of that together, it flourishes. Right. And then you just said, we're actually better husbands if. Yeah. So talk talk some more about that. Maybe color that a little bit more for me. Yeah. So there's you know there's all sorts of things that go into that about presuppositions about what it means to be a man, what it means to be strong. Um, you know, to be strong means we don't we don't show weakness, we don't acknowledge sorrow, we don't we don't say I'm not doing well. Yeah. And there's this idea that you know like we need to be this strong leader and strong protector. And, and, you know, uh, you know, this, um, and I know this, that there's things we can't protect our wives and kids from. Right. And it's not in our hand. It's not a failure on our part. Right. And, um, and to be able to, um, like if, if we're trying to put on that front, it's not real strength. It's pretend. And that, that pretend strength doesn't help anybody. You know, we need to say with Paul that uh, when I am weak, then I'm strong. You know, yeah. the Lord's strength is perfected in our weakness. And, you know, what I found in, in pastoral ministry um, with other couples is, you know, when I, when I visit someone after they've had a miscarriage, they're walking through that, what I'll often find is, and, and, and there's probably good reasons for 
the way we're made in this is, uh, you know, the, the father moves quickly into uh, to-do mode. Like, what needs right. to get done? Um, I need to get my wife to the hospital, to the doctor's office, home. I need to go pick up prescriptions. I need to make sure if there's other kids, I need to make sure those kids are taken care of, they're fed, they're off to school, they're, mm. you know, whatever it is. Um, and so, I just need to step in and get all the whatever my wife would normally be doing, I need to be doing, which is yeah. good. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, a lot of those things, you don't have to be the one doing those right then. You have mm. a church family, hopefully. You have family, you have friends. Um, other people can cook. Other people can get groceries. Other people can run errands. Other people can watch your kids for a mm. season, um, you know, for a few hours or whatever. Uh, but only you can be the husband to your wife. And and what I'll find is wives will ask me, like, they'll be like, I'm so concerned about my husband. Like, he doesn't seem sad. He doesn't seem to be mm. grieving. And they'll even say, like, what are you feeling in this? And they'll be like, I, I don't know what I'm feeling in this, mm. you know? Um, and, and, and so, and then, and then what will often happen is the wife will feel like, well, I'm grieving this alone. I'm, I'm suffering through this by myself. I'm, I'm, I'm in bed recovering. And I have to walk through this miscarriage by myself. And, and then about the time that she's recovered and ready to step back into life, then the feelings start hitting him. And right. uh, she doesn't know what to do with that because she's, I don't know that you ever recover, uh, right. but she's, she's progressed through her. Yeah. Grieving. She's, she's grieved and right. at least a, a good extent. Right. Um, but you know, I, what's really struck me is the mom wants the dad to grieve with her. Mm. And what other part of parenting do we say it's okay for her to do it alone without him. Mm. Um, you know, dads nowadays, and praise God for this, we, we get to go to the appointments and see the ultrasounds and we get to be there as they labor and deliver. You know, we're there for the birth. That, that hasn't been the case, you know, all the time. Yeah. And um, and we expect dads to be involved in parenting, and it, and but for some reason, dads act like they didn't lose a child. I mean, when... When would a couple lose a child and it would be okay for the dad not to be grieving right. that? Right. Um, and so, they they want to know their, you know, that's, mm. what does God do? You know, he, the, the, the eternal son of God took on flesh and dwelt with us. Yeah, uh, He's with us in our sufferings. And to be Christ to your wife means being with her in those mm. sufferings, weeping like Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. Um and that's, that's more important than getting the groceries. Hey friend, I wanted to let you know about a really special resource that we offer regularly at Nothing Is Wasted. It's our master classes. Each and every month on our community platform, we host a live master class where you can learn from trusted leaders and some of our certified coaches on specific topics to help you navigate your valley. This is an incredible resource because this is an opportunity for you to let their lessons through the pain of suicide, trauma, and other heartbreaking journeys guide you through yours. Now, these masterclasses are absolutely free to attend live, but Community Plus members only will get access to the on-demand replays of these special events. The topics we talk about are 
different each month and will help you no matter where you are in your pain to purpose journey. But some of these topics will speak to exactly what you're going through right now. So to find out what masterclass we have coming up next, go to nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. And right there, you can register for the next masterclass. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. We know what it's like to navigate life's valleys. Our masterclasses are just one of the many tools that we want to equip you with for the journey towards healing. Learn more and sign up today at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass, or perhaps share this resource with a friend who's in need of some encouragement in their pain. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. I've sat with several men who have experienced miscarriage and, um, you know, I've had the same, you know, similarly in, in my experience losing my wife, but she was also 13 weeks along in our second pregnancy. And so there was the impact of, you know, two losses right there, very distinct in nature, but also very real. And one of the things I hear from men often and I'm trying to assess as we're sitting here talking about this, what the reason is. I'm curious what your opinion is on this and what, what your in, insight is. But, you know, I hear a little bit of the statement of, um, well, you know, until I really held the baby or, you know, if they've had a kid, mm. I didn't really feel bonded or connected the same way that my wife yeah. has felt bonded or connected over these nine months, right? Yeah. So then they attribute that same kind of feeling to, the loss and a miscarriage, like, well, she's, mm-hmm. and, and I'm wondering if, as you're talking, I'm wondering if that is uh, some kind of disassociation, it's too painful to kind of approach, mm-hmm. or is there some truth in that, or is it all kind of wrapped up within <laughs> itself? I know, obviously, loss yeah. is a lot more nuanced than it is binary, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Hmm. I, I think it can be attributed to a number of things. Uh, one is just, it's always good to acknowledge that husbands and wives, mothers and fathers uh, experience pregnancy and pregnancy loss differently. And, you know, she is very physically wrapped up in this. You know, she is carrying the baby. Her body has gone through all sorts of changes physically, hormones, mentally, you know, becoming pregnant. And then that happens in reverse as she miscarries and um, becomes unpregnant. Um, and so that all plays a role in how you're attached to the child. You know, she's literally physically attached to the child in her womb. And so that shouldn't be discounted. Um, I, I do wonder sometimes though, if there's also still some cultural dis- detachment between fathers and the baby in the womb mm-hmm. in the sense of, for some men, they just don't understand women's biology. Uh, they don't understand the terminologies, sometimes the body parts. They don't understand the process, and it right. feels scary and foreign to them. And so they they don't want to be involved. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot of helpful books on there, like what to expect when you're expecting, and other you know other things right. that a father can read to be become acquainted with what's happening in his wife's. Uh, experience being pregnant. Um, And then we live in a culture that doesn't value life in the womb. 
Yeah. And so even publicly, there's this whole thing of like, um, once you've lost a child in the womb, there is a, does this count? Like, was this a real baby? Mm. Um, you know, and that, I mean, that's, that's literally being debated every day on social media. Right. And right. you just lost a baby and there's people out there having angry or casual conversations right. about whether this was actually a child wow. and um, whether you had any right as a father wow. to, to in that situation. And so our culture just is, is extremely unkind and, and they don't know it. Uh, but in when it comes to miscarriage, and I think you know I think that's one place where scripture can be very helpful. You know yeah. the the Gospel of Luke starts with a barren couple who were advanced in age and they'd never been able to have children. Which, which you know, I, I spoke to one scholar who said, yeah, that that barrenness would have absolutely uh, included experiences with miscarriage, most likely. Right. Right. Um, wow, and. Um, and so, you know, the Lord is mindful of of barrenness and struggles with infertility. But then, you know, as it moves and Elizabeth gets pregnant and then Mary gets pregnant and they're visiting each other, you know, yeah. uh, Elizabeth says that the, the baby leapt in her womb, you know, out of joy being in the presence of her Messiah. And so she's speaking about these two children in the womb as persons. Right, right. And the word for baby there, brephos, um, is in the womb is the same word that's used for uh, Mary wrapped her, her mm. child in swaddling cloths and wow. laid him in a manger. So what's in wow. the manger and what's in the womb is the same. Mm. And man. Praise God. So, it's so funny. You have no idea about this, but I literally wrote a sermon at 5.30 this morning on this particular passage uh, with Mary coming to visit Elizabeth yeah. and I'm preaching this Sunday, right? I'm like, oh, wow. Hey, so thank you for coloring this for me a little bit, Eric. I appreciate yeah. it. I might steal some of that. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go for wow, it. That's but, powerful. You know, that's scripture is saying right there to barren people, uh, God sees you. Wow. And, and it even goes out of its way to say that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a righteous couple mm. and uh, according to the law. So this, this barrenness was no curse. It wasn't, I mean, it's a curse in the sense that we live in a world that's under a curse and right. that's right. why death is here, but curse it's not, sin, yeah. it's not because of their personal sin. Right, and, right. and it speaks to you, whether you're carrying a baby, whether you've had a baby or whether you've just lost a baby in the womb, yeah. God is saying, this is a baby. Mm. And uh, it's always, always, always right to grieve the loss of human life. Yeah. And yeah. no one should ever take that from you. Mm. Wow. So good. It's interesting how we tend to attribute punitive qualities to God when we go through pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rather than recognizing first that we just live in the fallout of a fractured, broken world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, God's not sitting on the opposite side of the table when we go through pain. He's sitting at the seat right with us, mm -hmm. observing that pain, weeping over that pain, lamenting that pain more so than us. Yeah. Yeah. I think but that's our first, our first response typically is what am I being punished? Yeah. You know, am I, is this a result of my sin? Which is the, exact opposite of 
who that baby in the manger came to be. Mm. You know, Isaiah says that he carried our sorrows and our sicknesses. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, carried our diseases. He was familiar with suffering. And just read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke and look at how Jesus responds to suffering people. He's touching them. He's healing them. He's he's weeping with them. He's, you know, he's full of compassion towards suffering people. And... Uh, and even, you know, um, in one of the gospels where Jesus, his disciples ask him, who sinned? This man was born blind. Was it him or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither one. And so that the glory of God would be revealed. Um, it's, you know, that idea of punitive suffering from God is, um, can it happen? Uh, sure. You know, um, but that's not the default that we see. Uh, there are people, you know, uh, Herod is struck dead in Acts and right. consumed by yeah. worms because he refused <laughs> to give glory to God. Right. Um, but it evidently was a pretty clear situation. Right. <laughs> and that's not God's default. And, and particularly with God's people, you know, yeah. for those of us who know and trust in Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel is that God punished Jesus on the cross. Yeah, that's right. He paid for our sins. There's no wrath left for us. God yeah. looks at us as fully righteous children mm-hmm. who he loves uh, every, much as, every bit as much as he loves Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Through our adoption as sons, the father looks at us and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, we, we will never experience ever what Jesus experienced on the cross. Right. And, and that's the point. Yeah. You know, I'm curious what you would say about this. And I'm sorry, I might be putting you on the spot uh, in, in regards to this, but I was a few weeks ago, I was preaching a message on prayer and I was talking about Hannah. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's another story of barrenness. Yeah. And I remember in the middle of that message, just feeling the Holy Spirit prompt me. I think it's because of so many conversations I'm, I'm having around pain and suffering with folks who are miscarried or folks who who are in infertile, right? There's a lot of infertility as well, or at least experience infertility. And they're wondering, am I ever going to be able to? But it seems like there's so many stories in scripture where it's like, they were barren, they were barren, they were barren until the very last minute, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And then boom, God comes in and it, <laughs> it feels like it wraps a bow on the yeah. end of that story. And I remember in the middle of that message going like, I don't want to wrap a bow on this. Like, yeah. I don't want to all of a sudden get to this point where Hannah has Samuel, although <laughs> that's a very powerful moment there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously her heart posture to give him back to the Lord, you know, this, yeah. I mean, just such a powerful story right there. But like, who, what about the people who are experiencing that, who are going, will I ever? And, you yeah. know, can you that think is, of, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, can, I, can we think of an instance in scripture or what would God say about, or to the person potentially who it's like, Hey, no, you may, you're not going yeah. to. And yeah. Yet, you know that's i think that is a great observation and a great question because so often when we deal with infertility and miscarriage the people were pointed to in scripture who have i mean there's a lot of barren women in scripture right right and and they end up having babies and so the people we point to like what they desired in this life comes to pass they get to have right. a baby and uh sometimes they may not be the best place to point people, you know, um, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, I, I, here's what's helped me there. And I think is really helpful to understand is 
to ask the question, why are these women included in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's, that's part of um, uh, the first book I wrote with Lisa Fitzpatrick, yeah. uh, Worthy Celebrating the Wonderful Value of book. Women, uh, mm-hmm. deals with that. Thank you. Um, so, the Bible is one unified, cohesive story. And it's the story of redemption, of what, of how God is bringing his kingdom to pass through his son, Jesus Christ. And we go back to Genesis, we have the creation, we have the fall into sin. And as the Lord is speaking to the serpent, he gives this promise that, um, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will, will he'll strike the head of the serpent and the serpent will strike his heel, which is really fascinating because that word for strike there is the same for both. And you get this picture of as the sun brings his heel down on the head of the serpent, the serpent is delivering a, a strike to his heel, which is a, wow. a piercing that's a lethal wound. He's going to yeah, die in right. the process of overcoming our enemy. But that right there tells us how to interpret the rest of the Bible. Yeah. From a woman, a son is going to come that will redeem us. And so the rest of the storyline, we're watching for this son to emerge from a woman. And the whole story of the Old Testament is the story of when is the promised seed, the promised son going to arrive? And so births, births are very, very important. And as an Israelite and as a Christian, we're reading it in reverse. We know the end. And so we know the, the lineage that comes through. But then you're reading the story and you know that the, the line of the Messiah comes through these people, but barrenness is a crisis in that story. Mm. Abraham's promised an offspring, but they're barren. Right. Um, and, or we know that Ruth and Boaz, you know, are the, the great, great, great right. grandparents, but Ruth is barren. You know, she's been married 10 years and she has right. no child. Um, and we know they're supposed to get together, but like, In every one of these, even with Hannah, like there is this crisis in the land that the promised one is not appearing. And so, what those stories of barrenness show us is that God overcomes these circumstances to bring his Messiah. Mm. Uh, We're no longer waiting for his Messiah. Um, He's arrived. And... um, and so, the reason that these women and these men are included isn't just as an example, it's because they're a key part in the story. There's a yeah. million other, other women in, in God's people, millions throughout the Old Testament period that were barren and never had babies. Right. And, I, you know, we know what the statistics are now, you know, a quarter of pregnancies end in miscarriage at least. And without modern medicine, how many more of those of those pregnancies were lost. And so the, the message of the Bible isn't that God is always working to overcome infertility and give us a child. It's that God is always working to overcome the curse and give us the child. And, and where I want to point in fertile couples to is um, you're actually now promised offspring and fertility. And and this is what I mean by that. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when God creates man and woman, he says, you know, let them rule. Um, He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and exercise Mm -hmm. dominion. And that being fruitful and multiplying was having babies. They were to fill the earth with other image bearers who would, they would all work together to exercise God's dominion on earth. Um, 
that command, what we call the creation mandate, finds its fulfillment in Jesus, right. who, when he commissions his, his new people, his new creation, he says, go, go to all the nations and go and make disciples of all the nations, mm-hmm. uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So, um, it's parallel to that creation command where how are we fruitful? We make disciples. How do we exercise dominion? We teach them to obey Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's why Paul can say, I wish that all of you were as I were. That is single, unmarried. And unmarried in most circumstances would mean not having children. And he even says, because the married man is uh, concerned about or, his family, yeah. but the unmarried can give all their time to this kingdom work, which is the family is kingdom work, but he makes a distinction there somehow. So the, the preferred state in the new Testament is um, in Paul's, in Paul's mind is unmarried Mm. um, devoting yourself full time to the work of making disciples, because that is what, fertility means and the kingdom is sowing the seed mm. and seeing disciples grown. Wow. Um, babies are good. Babies are a blessing. Um, but they're not the old, they're not the means right. of kingdom growth. Wow. That's great. The gospel is. And wow. so as a couple who can't have children, we, we never want to undermine the, the pain of that loss and that unfulfilled desire wow. uh, because it's a legitimate loss barrenness exists because we're in this fragmented and broken world. Um, but there's also a place to rejoice yeah. because, um, and I don't want to sound trite at all. We've been given something better than babies. Mm-hmm. We've been given a kingdom yeah. that um, cannot fail. It, yeah. it, it can't miscarry. Wow. And, um, and we'll, we will live in that kingdom with bodies that are incorruptible and imperishable. Wow. Um, and they're no longer fragmented, broken, they're glorified. And yeah. that life will be all the fulfillment we could ever ask for. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. And you know, Eric, I don't, I don't believe that sounds trite mm. because I know good. the journey that you've been on, mm. right? And I think that's what I want everybody to understand as you're hearing... Eric talk about this, like the perspective that he's illuminating to us right now is such a, such a broad, wide lens of the kingdom. It's Mm. a beautiful lens, Eric, that you're communicating right now. And it, and it only comes typically through the path of suffering and grieving through that, that loss, right? Because, you know, loss always shows us it's not, again, it's not punitive. It's not like God's going, well, I got to show you, where idols are in your life. And so yeah. here's what I'm gonna, that's not what it is. But re- loss does reveal that to us. It brings that to the to the surface. I know the loss that I've experienced, I, there were so many, that's what we talk about in the Pain to Purpose course. There's so many idols that I noticed because now mm-hmm. I was attentive to the Lord. I'm going, God, what are you doing right now? And he was able to go, okay, well, let me show you some things right now yeah. that will help to shape the perspective of how you view this loss. Mm-hmm. Right now you're having trouble. You're, you're so myopically narrow, narrow, narrowly viewing this whole thing because of some idols that are in your heart. So now I need to expand that. Mm-hmm. But, but that happens through this long process of working yeah. through grief and suffering yep. and all of the things that, you know, you know so, we, yeah. so 
as you're listening to this, guys, you're watching this on YouTube, like Eric's not leapfrogging ahead going like, let me just kind of stamp a pithy theological concept onto this whole, this is like, this is the 40 chapters of Job that of the wrestling with like, God, where are you? What's going on? Like, why is this happening? And, And then God kind of in his loving kindness reveals to us his magnitude, his plan. Hey friend, just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about one way that you can help support the important work that we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. And this won't cost you a thing. We want to invite you to join us in helping people move from pain to purpose by becoming a Nothing Is Wasted prayer partner. By becoming a prayer partner, each month you'll get a prayer and praise report that will give you specific ways that you can partner with us in prayer for what we have planned in the days to come, as well as praises, what we're seeing come out of the work that we do here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. In addition to that, you'll be invited to join us each quarter for a live Zoom prayer call. Scripture tells us that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, and we believe the core of who we are at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we're called to pray first, that the battle actually happens in the spiritual when we engage in prayer. So as we push back the darkness that can come from pain, trauma, and suffering, we undoubtedly will be faced with adversity and challenges, and we know that prayer is the most effective way to see healing and breakthrough happen. So join us today by going to nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash prayer team. You can sign up there today. And we want to invite you to partner with us as we're bringing hope and healing to those who need it most. When we look at Jesus with his friend Lazarus, who he loved, who died, um, he shows up and he does speak to Mary and Martha about the kingdom. Yeah. Uh, and the resurrection. But um, he also weeps. Like yeah. he enters into that sorrow and he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he is, and like even the word for weeping there is like, you know, the heavy, heavy sobs, you know, where snot's mm. running down your face and it's just, it's a big old ugly cry. Right. And um, is it interesting? That's the shortest verse in the Bible too. Yeah. It's yeah, almost and like it's loaded. God's like, I just need you to <laughs> right there. That's it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and what's also interesting in that passage is, you know, where it says that Jesus became agitated or disturbed in spirit. Yeah. Um, that word there is for like the snorting of like war horses oh, as wow. they're ready to charge. It's a, it's a word for deep anger. Wow. And so we not only have deep, Jesus entering into this deep grief because wow. the one he loved died, but he's also looking at the tomb and he is ticked off. Yeah, he is it. angry at death. And yeah. so um, when we walk through these things, Jesus you know, Hebrews says he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect yeah. so that he could be a merciful high priest, not just to atone for our sins, but to wow. sympathize with us and know how to help us experientially. Okay. So your anger at, at this miscarriage isn't wrong, yeah. most likely. Um, your grief isn't a sign of a lack of faith right. because Jesus never sinned and he always had perfectly faith in his, perfect faith in his father. Right. He was angry. He was he was grieved, and um, uh, but I, I love what you just said. Um, maybe I'll move on to the next piece of our story uh, yeah, about yeah. you saying, you know, the Lord's showing you stuff. You know, I kind of talked about right. that shame um, that I experienced. You know, we went on to um, uh, we got pregnant uh, again, and um, 
we, so we ended up miscarrying, uh, you know, Jenny, uh, it was, it was even further along the pregnancy and, um, she knew something was wrong and we went in and found out that she was miscarrying and, um, it was far enough along that, uh, you know, as the baby wasn't passing naturally, the doctor said, well, we can do a DNC or, or we can induce you and have you go into labor. Mm -hmm. And so Jenny wanted that. And so we went into the hospital and, um, it was a, just a surreal experience. You know, we went in and they induced her. Uh, she went through uh, contractions and labor pains and, um, and she, um, she delivered like um, I could tell she knew the baby came out and, and I could see, you know, this, this little, little body, you know, laying there on the bed in the pool of blood. And, you know, I called the nurses and, I, I wanted to pick up my baby yeah. and there was this whole thing in my mind about what would the nurse think? She'd probably think you're crazy. Like who, who does that? Or, you know, whatever. And I wish I had, but I didn't. Um, but I, I just felt like here's my child that is alone and, and we couldn't help. Um, and of course the baby was um, dead and, and um, I think with the Lord and, uh, but um, so they, uh, they, you know, they came in, nurse came in, treated her, uh, took the baby away. And, um, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, as the doctor's treating her, the nurse is treating her, they're like, um, yeah, she's got, she's got some continued bleeding that's not good. And we need to take her into surgery, like emergency surgery. And was like, just bam, she's gone. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there in our room alone with absolutely nobody there. And, um, and it was just a, a frightening and scary, a scary time, not knowing sure. what's going to happen. And, and she came back fine. Um, but, um, you know, a couple of things that happened in that, that hospital journey, um, it was part of it that was weird was, you know, they only give patients um, hospital bands. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you go in to have a baby, at least in the hospitals we've been in, you don't get a band. I didn't get a band as a father until the baby was born because it was matched up with the baby. So I had no band. And so when I had to run home or I had to go out to the car or I had to go out and meet a pastor who was coming to visit me or whatever, um, to get back into the, the pregnancy ward, you know, labor and delivery ward, um, I had to explain my whole situation to the front Mm. desk and then they had to call back. They had to have a nurse come up, you know, you're just standing there in all this awkwardness And, um, and they were kind enough. They had us in a different, uh, wing of the ward that had no, um, no other pregnancies there, but you still hear the little chime go off every time a baby's born. And, and in this hospital, uh, you know, my wife could get room service, but for the, for the fathers, they had a tiny little like hospitality room. And at mealtime, they would bring in a hot meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm. And there was like a two hour window. You could go in and get it. And so, uh, the first time, you know, cause we were there for a few days and, um, the first time that I went to go get a meal after the, you know, the baby had, uh, been delivered, um, I walk in there and the room's just full of men 
And of course, they're all standing and they're talking about, hey, what did you have? Or, you know, what are you having? And you want to see pictures of my baby? And, you know, they're kind of going around the room and I'm in the back corner. I'm the last one to walk in. And I'm like, oh, man, like, man. do I just turn around and leave? Like, I, I don't want to be the one who, who disappoints everyone. Like, wow. I'm going to bring my sorrow into the midst of their joy. And it finally someone asked me like, well, what about you? And I just, I said, you know, our, our baby miscarried died in the womb. And, and so we were here to deliver and it was just like oxygen sucked out of the room, you know, and you felt, you felt awful. And, and, and what I realized in that experience was like, Eric, are you willing to like bring your sorrow into other people's lives? Um, Are you willing to be a disappointment? That's what I felt like. And, Uh, And then there's even that, like, as you're struggling, like your friends might not know how to respond to you or what to talk about. And uh, do you want to be the guy that's like, hey guys, I'm really struggling and here's my sorrow. Am I Mm -hmm. the downer in my group of friends? And to realize like um, Jesus was not what anybody wanted as a Messiah. Hmm. Uh, You know, he had no majesty. Uh, he, He didn't, he wasn't good looking that anyone would like, mm. like think, well, yeah, yeah, this man is, he looks like Saul. He's definitely, he's right. definitely a king. Right. And um, especially yeah. the fact that he was crucified, uh, you know, um, yeah. he's foolishness and a stumbling block. And um, just to realize, you know, uh, we need to be honest about our suffering and it's yeah. it's not wrong to bring it into the lives of other people. We we need mm-hmm. to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice, but they need to learn to weep with those who weep. And wow. um, so that that hospital stay was, um, you know, we did get to hold the little baby um, and uh, see it, and we had a funeral and a burial, like we a graveside. We did our own family graveside, not a full funeral, but um, but even when we held the baby, you know, and we were like, okay. This was good. We're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called the I called the front desk, you know, and they didn't have anything marked on our phone number that what our situation mm-hmm. was. And so I was like, you know, could you come uh, get our baby? We're ready to leave. And the nurse was like, well, why would we need to get your baby if you're going to leave? You know, wow. and so I have to explain <laughs> to the nurse, and and it just it's all these feelings of like like your disappointment to other people, shame, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then. You know, just to get back to what we were talking about earlier, just about the deep pain that comes with this, you know, we actually left the hospital on the due date of the previous miscarriage. And so, Mm. uh, the day we expected to be in the hospital having a baby, um, I'm wheeling my wife out in a wheelchair and she's holding up potted plant and a sympathy card, you know, instead of a baby, you know, and even that experience being wheeled through the maternity ward, um, you know, the nurses at the nurse's station see a wheelchair coming and they know someone's leaving. And so they all stand up excited to look down and see the baby and there's a plant. (laughs) Um, And you just want to get out of there. You just want to go, you want to go hide. And, um, and I, and I think, you know, what we we're talking about with the world too, and even anger, um, I think that was the one we got home from the hospital and uh, I had to go to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription for my wife and I get in my car and turn it on. And uh, I think I had like NPR on. And so there's a, uh, there's Iowa public radio and there's a 
Iowa state politician who's on there being interviewed about some abortion legislation. And, um, and he's, he's pro-choice and, and he says, you know, I don't know why this would be controversial to anyone. It's just protecting, you know, it's, it's just for pregnancies up to this number of weeks. It was the same number of weeks in which we lost our baby. And, and here's, here's our baby being tossed around as a political football and as a just, you know, it's, it's only, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. And, uh, and just to realize that, you know, you have this, the voice of Satan yeah, speaking right. into it, you have your flesh and then you have a hostile world that, um, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I don't really know where it's going with all that, but it's, a uh, it, it feels like walking through a barren wasteland sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Alone. There's just this massive convolution of emotions that you feel in that mm-hmm. and, you know, on one hand, I, I mean, I think it paints a, a, it paints a beautiful picture and a drawback to what, uh, I'm beautiful and ugly and agonizing, right? All of the above, a drawback to what, what Jesus, what you what you alluded to earlier with John chapter eleven and Jesus mm-hmm. coming onto the scene with Lazarus. That there's mm-hmm. both this deep sorrow, and this like holy, right, righteous anger. Yeah, yeah. It's like I somebody's got to do something about this. And what yeah. was amazing is that Jesus said, I'm doing something about this, you know? And yeah, that, um, but it's still in our circumstances on this side of eternity, we still feel the, you know, the cocktail yeah. of emotions within all yeah. of that as well. Yeah. And you know, um, what you said earlier about sometimes we can't see these things. So we walk through it. You know, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, crucifixion feels like crucifixion. It does. And if yeah. we're crucified with Christ, you know, if we're being conformed into his image, then we have to become a pe- people of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Right. Uh, Hebrews said that he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's right. Uh, are we going to take a different path? So that passage always blew my mind, right? That yeah. Jesus had to learn obedience, right? Yeah. 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 It's, um, and, and what's good news about that is, um, you know, I, I think it alludes to, I mean, this is a whole big conversation, but that we think, we think, well, Jesus is fully God and fully man, which he is. And therefore his temptations and his suffering were easy for him because he had this divine nature to draw <laughs> right, on. Right. But we have this, we have all these indicators of like, he's asking who touched me, yeah. uh, no one knows the hour of my return, but the father, not even I know it. Yeah. Like he is living fully out of his human nature. He's, right. he's a prophet. So he has the spirits revealing things to him, but he is, he is learning these things right, right. without sin, but he's learning them experientially. Yeah. Like exactly. he learns obedience because now that he's a human being living as the Christ he's in a position where he's under his father's authority, where they exist as equals in the Trinity. And now he's learning what it means to obey because he's never had that experience. And he, he had to be made like us in every respect so that he can be merciful and know experientially how to help us. So someone will say, well, but Jesus never got married. Jesus never, uh, experience a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did experience things that were of the same type. Yeah. He yeah. lost his friend Lazarus. Yeah. 
there's a there's a a way in which his his ministry miscarried. Right. You know, his last time walking to Jerusalem, right. he's weeping and saying, "How often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you wow. wouldn't come. Wow. I wanted to be a mother <laughs> to yeah. you, yeah. and my babies didn't happen." That's so good. Wow. Yeah, and you even think about you know like. I mean, I recognize a spiritual warfare as it comes against us, particularly in seasons where it feels like there's about to be some kind of spiritual breakthrough, some kind of, you know, kingdom thing that you're stepping into that's going to, I think a lot of, a lot of times in like war type pictures, but you know, just this, you're about to move on the enemy's territory in a significant way. And so you feel this intensity. It's like the fire's turned up a little bit more where the enemy's trying, because if he can discourage us, he can kind of derail us from that mission. And he doesn't, you know, it's like he doesn't have to worry about us because he's neutralized us there. Well, how much more would the temptation mm. and the struggles of Jesus have been turned up, the intensity yes. of that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I think to even like look and compare and go, well, Jesus had it easy because of his divinity. It's like, well, come on, let's think about yeah. this. You yeah. know, like think about how intensely the, the enemy was coming after him because if he could yeah. stop God's plan there, he'd yeah. stop it for good. It was over. Yeah. So, I think it was, I think C.S. Lewis made the point that, you know, we experience this when we resist temptation, the longer that we resist it, the more of its power we feel mm. because it continues. And so you give right. in right away, you haven't experienced much of it. The longer you resist it, the more of its power, the stronger the temptation can be. And Jesus always resisted every temptation because he never sins. So he knows the power of that situation more than we do because he's gone further in it. Mm. Man, so good. Well, all right. So Eric, I wish I mean, we're going to, we're going to have more conversations. How's that sound? We'll have I more would conversations. Love it. I would love it. Let's <laughs> do it. This has been so rich. And I just look down the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I feel like I could talk <laughs> about this for another yeah. couple of hours with you. Here's what I would love to do. You know, you talked a little bit about the book of Luke, your latest <laughs> book, a devotional <laughs> that you've, um, that you've just put together. It's 31 days of devotions. It's called ours, biblical comfort for men grieving miscarriage. And it actually goes through the book of Luke. Mm-hmm. You chose to use that as the framework. Why did you choose to use Luke, Luke as the framework for that? Yeah. Well, um, you know, this is a book that, as far as I and the publisher knew, no one had written a Christian book for men on miscarriage. Yeah, right. And and I know, you know, most Christian book buyers are women. Right. And so, it's it can be hard to get a man to read a book. Yeah. And so, I thought, if he's going to read this book... I want men to come face to face with Jesus mm. <laughs> right away. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, I, you know, and I include a lot of my story in there, and I, clu- I include a, you know, every chapter is answering a practical question from whatever part of Luke that we're in. But my story, which is included all the way through it, my story can give a sense of um, camaraderie, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that we, I'm in this with you and I know what it's like, but my story can't redeem you. Yeah, that's good. My story is not the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. Jesus is the one they need to get to know, not me. Mm. And so, um, I want men to come face to face with Jesus and see that he is the one who is actually 
and I don't want this to sound trite, but you know, these, these 31 practical and spiritual and all these kind of questions that we ask, he is the answer to all of those mm. in many different ways. And he can be trusted with your story. Like you can walk through this story with Jesus. That's yeah. That's so good. He can be trusted with your story. Man, oh, Eric, I feel like that's what, I mean, you just in one phrase just encapsulated the entirety of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, right? That's what mm. we're trying to help people understand is that despite what you may go through, despite what your story, how it's played out mm. so far, Jesus can be trusted with it. Mm -hmm. He's always writing yeah, a better story. That he always has a better word that he's speaking over your life. And while mm -hmm. that may not look like, as we talked about earlier, that all of our circumstances come to a resolution here on the side mm -hmm. of eternity, what it does look like and what it is, that what it is promised is that he will always be faithful to walk with us in it. Yeah. And that fully and finally, one day, all of this will be restored. Hmm. Yeah. Amen. That somehow we'll look at him in the face and, and we may not get our answers to our questions right now, but we'll look him in the face one day and it will all, like everything yeah. will make, it, it, it will just come. It's like, wow, we'll see the full picture. Yeah. That, that is my favorite passage. I think in the Bible is, um, Aside from he be, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect. I'm just loving that right now. But Revelation 21, mm. where it says that um, he will wipe every tear mm. from their eyes. Every single one. There'll be no more sickness, no more sadness, wow. um, no more death. And he says, behold, I'm making all things, wow. everything new. Um that is our blessed hope. It's, wow. it's not babies. It's not marriage. It's, it's not our plans for this life. Our blessed hope is to see Jesus return and raise us from the dead to a new heavens and a new earth. That's right. That's right. Oh, well, thank you for stirring us up, mm. Eric. This Thanks for having I mean, this me. Is, I mean, you stirred me up. This is, this is so timely for me just to mm. have this conversation with you. And in a season where I'm feeling like, the enemy just is coming at us on all fronts. And I'm just, mm. I'm so encouraged by just talking about the Lord with you. And so I know that our community is also being encouraged despite what they've gone through, whether they've experienced miscarriage or not. I know that they're, yeah. they've been stirred up by this conversation. Eric, mm. I know we can um, follow you on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at EM Shoemaker, right? And yep. then yep. emshoemaker.com is your website. Yep. We're going to put those in the show notes here. And I want to make sure I encourage everybody to go and pick up uh, actually copies of, each of your books, I mean, you're, you're working on five, four and five right now or five and uh, six? Five and six, yeah. Five and six. Yeah, Thanks, it's God. crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Yeah. Well, we'll put everything right there in the show notes so that you guys can um, easily access this. And Eric, I'm looking forward to having more conversations with you, man. This has been wonderful. Mm, yeah, man. I, I It's been a pleasure to meet you. I can tell you're a kindred soul and it's it's blessed me to be here. And I, I pray it's been a blessing to your listeners. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it has. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Eric, thank you for sharing so vulnerably with our audience. I am sure there are a lot of listeners who appreciate uh, you and your ministry and are going to be sharing this yeah. around because I do, like we said before, I think this is a unique space that you're filling. And so I'm so grateful for, I'm so grateful that nothing is wasted here and mm -hmm. that out of your pain, you're, you're ministering. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. And just thanks for giving me the space to, to have the conversation. 
One of the um, the things that you talk about that I think is so profound is that barrenness is not a sign of a curse. And it, that may seem obvious to people, but I, I want us to talk about that because one that, I mean, that is kind of an ancient idea mm-hmm. that barrenness is a curse, a result mm-hmm. of sin, something like that. Um, and certainly we can talk about barrenness as part of the fall or what have yeah. you. Yep. But the idea that like it's God is doing this to punish us. Mm-hmm. That it's funny because you you kind of think to yourself, oh, no one actually thinks that. And yet I have been in conversation with oh, women yeah. who've who've had miscarriages and people have spoken that over them. That's because mm-hmm. you XYZ. That's yeah. because you did not do XYZ. And yeah. So while we may not say it's a curse, there are some of our language and some of our belief systems really do, um, uh, I think, promote that concept. So can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think it's important to maybe address a little bit of where we get that idea from sometimes, you know, so... uh, It's interesting that even in Genesis 3, after sin, God pronounces these curses. Uh, He never says to the human beings, you are cursed, but Mm. the ground is cursed because of you. Now, they have consequences, pain and, you know, increased pain uh, in childbearing and so forth. But he never says that they are cursed. But we do live in a world under a curse, and we're affected by the curse in in death, the curse of sin. Um, And and there is a sense in which we are cursed um, because we're we're under the wrath of God as sinners who have rebelled against him in in our natural state. Um, Then then you get into Israel where um, in the law, it says, you know, uh, as God's spelling out the curses for the nations, like uh, your women will miscarry. And Mm -hmm. that was part of the curses that would come upon Israel if they were, if they abandoned the Lord and worshiped idols and were unfaithful to him. What's good to remember there was that one that's part of this unique covenant that God has with Israel. Yes. And it's a corporate thing. It's it's mm-hmm. not saying that each individual woman who miscarried in that circumstance, it was because of something specific she did. This was coming mm-hmm. upon the whole nation corporately. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we there, there's no indication that that's how God is operating uh, with individual people at any point. Yes. Um, that this loss is due to uh, the results of your sin. I mean, granted, there's things we could do. You, you go out, get drunk and go driving in a car accident and, the, and as a result, there's a miscarriage. Right. Yeah, that, those, those sorts of things are, are obvious. But yeah. by and large... Um, this is a result of living in a world that is affected by sin and mm-hmm. the curse and death. And mm-hmm. Jesus felt those yeah. pains of the curse in the world and he was sinless. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, so the book ours uh, that we were talking about is a 31-day devotional. It walks through the gospel of Luke, looking at how uh, the personal work of Jesus speaks to a father's experience of miscarriage. And mm. I love how Luke opens it because he opens with Elizabeth and Zechariah who were barren and yeah. it describes them as righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were faithful, righteous people. So mm-hmm. this barrenness they're experiencing right away, Luke is telling us, is not because yeah. they were sinful. Yeah. And, and you know, then as Christians, uh, 
what we need to, we, just, we always need to be remembering the gospel, you know, mm-hmm. that um, Christ became a curse for us yeah. when he died on the cross. He endured our punishment in our place, which means God is never dealing with a Christian in a punitive sense. Amen. He is never punishing us because Christ was fully punished. Mm. He disciplines us, which is like a coach training someone yeah. to perform the right way. Um, It's not punitive. It's it's loving because he has your best interests in heart. And so anytime someone says, what did I do wrong? I feel Mm. like I'm under a curse. Why is God, you know, what did I, how did I sin that God brought this on me? They're not operating out of a gospel mindset that understands God has justified them through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's declared them to be righteous and right. he deals with them entirely on the basis of that yeah. of that status. Yeah. And so I that is you know if you believe that your loss whether it's miscarriage or anything else is because God is angry at you mm. and he's punishing you it's there it's there's little motivation to turn to him because yeah. We all know how imperfect we are. And if yeah. if we got to get all of that sin straightened out mm. in order to receive God's favor, I mean, mm-hmm. we're just back under the law again. Yeah, exactly. And to go, wow, this really important person, this hope, this dream, whatever it is, has been taken away or it's not coming to fruition. And I have a father who loves me Mm. and gave his son for me. Mm -hmm. And he's justified me. No one can condemn me. Mm -hmm. I can run to him without any sense of fear. Yeah. It changes everything, right? It does, yeah. It changes everything. And And then when you do start to get into that place again where you're going, oh, but God is mad at me, therefore, or I haven't, earned, I haven't done this thing enough, so that's why this happened. Just to know that that type of thinking and that type of heart space is just not gospel. Like, it's just not. And so I think to be able to go, okay, that those things aren't true. What's true is that I am lavishly loved by my father, like Eric yes. said, and who who is for me and not against me. And so much so that he went to the cross for me. I think t- to remember those things, I mean, we do, we have to like re-gospel ourselves all the time. And I think especially in loss and in heartache, it really, that really does bring you to almost a threshold moment in your faith where you go, okay, do I do I believe God is for me or not? And if mm-hmm. you can invite the Holy Spirit to help you kind of strengthen your understanding of the fact that God is for you and lavishly loves you, then it doesn't make the pain necessarily go away, but I do think it helps you move beyond that sort of um, dark, yeah. dark place where you think God has somehow punishing you. Yeah, so yeah, and that is, that is so important. And yeah, the lens through which we view our relationship with God is everything in that moment. And mm. it, it has to be the, the finished work mm. of Jesus Christ and who we are in Him. So good. Um, Eric, let me just kind of put you on the spot one more time, if you don't mind. For our listeners who, like, they hear you, and they're like, okay, I know, I know, I know. Uh, But it still really hurts, and I don't see God's goodness in the land of the living. Like, what's what's Mm -hmm. a pastoral word for them? 
Yeah, well, seeing faith <laughs> doesn't take away the pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we have Jesus in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane, and he's pleading with the Father, if possible, take this cup from me. He's telling his mm. disciples, uh, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. And his prayer and his lament uh, ends on perfect faith. You know, yeah. he's the perfect human being, yep. God in the flesh. Uh, and he fully trusts his Father mm. to show him goodness and to yeah. raise him from the dead. But the cross was still the cross. Yeah. It was... It was uh, the wrath of God. It was it was physical agony. It was spiritual agony, mm-hmm. um, and we take up our cross and we follow yeah. Him, and we're yeah. being conformed to the image of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, so that we're fully in His image, and that means walking the road that He walked. Mm-hmm. And so, your experience of pain does not mean that you're failing to trust God Amen. or doing something wrong. It mm-hmm. it might mean that you're following Jesus at, <laughs> exactly as you should. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. You're yeah. entering into the sufferings of Jesus. And and you know, it that I I love Hebrews 11, you know, that hall of faith Mm -hmm. where it says, so these are are people that are held up as examples of faith. And it says, these all died not having received what was promised, Mm. which is the resurrection. That's that's the goodness of God in the land of the living, ultimately. And none of us will experience it until we all experience it together on the day of resurrection. Mm. Oh, and I love that, Eric. Thank you so much. Thanks for your wisdom here. And thanks for just sharing so beautifully from your heart. I know this episode is going to minister to so many people. If you've walked through a journey like Eric and his wife or some other, you know, pain point, we really exist because we want to bring hope and the healing of Jesus to you as best as we can. And so we would love to invite you listeners to go to our website, nothingiswasted.com. Check out our community platform, our Community Plus platform. We have resources, we have classes, we have coaching, we have devotions, we have all kinds of resources there specifically to meet you in your pain and to uh, move you along your path towards Christ-likeness. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music wherever it is you get your music. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, at Obsamp, and at EM Shoemaker. And be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube. By doing so, you'll help other people find these incredible stories of pain to purpose, just like Eric's and so much more. Next week, we are joined by a friend of mine, Danita Janae. She's a military widow and a young mom who has walked a broken hearted road, but found God meeting her there. We're going to talk to her next week. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Danita Janae. I think that one of the hardest things for me was I felt like I felt like the Lord was really just vocal with me before I lost my husband. Like I just really felt like I could hear his voice. I felt like I was in step with him. 
um, the word felt alive. And uh, when my husband passed away, it just felt like God got quiet on me. He got silent. Mm. And to be honest, I felt like you ditched me. Like you left to. <laughs> and um, I really had to work through that feeling of, I think I already felt isolated because of our story. Mm. Like we didn't have our community yet. Um, but I also just felt like I felt isolated from the Lord. And I mean, <laughs> when you go through so much trauma, like it kind of splits your left and your right brain and you actually, right. I actually couldn't read. Like I couldn't write my yeah. name. I was, yeah. I was reversing letters. And um, so to even try to actually read the word was difficult, but then to try to understand it and to have it feel like it was living, breathing, yeah. like yeah. it is. It, it felt dead too. Can I just say that? And yeah. so um, there was a season of like, I know this is true. I know you love me, but I don't feel it. I know you're a defender of the widow, but I don't see any defense. And so it was this real honest, um, thankfully I had had lots of practice with lament yeah. before wow. with my health. Um and so I just knew I was allowed to be honest before God. And that really saved my mental health to just not feel like even with the Lord, I had to pretend like I'm okay. Like he knew, yeah. <laughs> I let him know that I wasn't doing well. Yeah. And um, I think the ability and the freedom <clears throat> just to be like that before him is what helped me break through all that. Cause when I was doubting, that was still such an act of faith yeah. to say like, I'm doubting you. It still means like, I believe in you. Yeah. I know you're real. I know my experience isn't lining up with who I know you really are. Um, and I had a pastor once when I was real sick in Nebraska tell me that even our biggest doubts is such an expression of faith. And I just really held on to that because you feel like everything bottoms out, including your faith. But for him to say that, I was like, yeah, like it's okay if I'm doubting God right now. And that's still the best expression of faith I can muster right now. 